What is good, streaming people? Welcome to Canel and Bell alongside Raja Bell. I'm Tommy Train in for Danny today. And let's start with Tom Brady, Raja. It's his world. We're just living in it, man. Um, inks an extension, two years. And he goes from about $14 million a year to about $23 million a year. Our NFL insider Jason Lock and Forrest says both sides will have an option to, to, to dip out of this. What do you think about the six-time Super Bowl champion and how this deal helps out the Patriots in a small but really big way? I mean, the rich get richer, right? Like, <laughs> on both sides, it's a win-win. Like, the the, the Pats, um, you know, hang on to Tom Brady in, in case he's able to beat Father Time um, for the next few years. Tom Brady obviously gets compensated and in, in, in a way that, you know, reflects his status in the league as one of the elite quarterbacks. Uh, you know, and, and you're a team in the Patriots that's always in win-now mode, right? And when you let Jimmy Garoppolo kind of go and, you know, you, you, you know, you lost that battle if you were Bill Belichick, you, you don't have that succession plan for Tom Brady. There's nowhere to go. Um, and in the absence of that, like, this makes sense. And if there's some flexibility in the deal where, you know, if, if, if the, if Father Time does catch him and it becomes, you know, not worth the deal, uh, you can kind of restructure it. I think it makes sense for, for both uh, parties. Yeah, it's funny. Had Pick 6 Pod host Will Brinson, or one of our senior NFL writers on HQ, and he's like, yeah, and, you know, this is a, a popular sentiment. It helps when you have a, a, a supermodel wife that makes more than you. <laughs> it's easier to take a, it's easier to take a little bit of that pay cut, right. right? But it also goes to show about, about the win now, and you mentioned this, like, Bill Belichick losing the battle whether he wanted to keep Jimmy G or not the tension with Alex Guerrero's trainer a couple years ago and all they've done is win two out of the last three Super Bowls so obviously winning kind of cures everything they're coming off a Super Bowl win Tom Brady says he wants to play till he's like mid 40 which would be 45 years old he just turned 42 a Mm -hmm. couple days ago he looks good we we mentioned it last week about him trying to add a little muscle so again this is all of the signs and, and outside of really sort of the Chiefs and then maybe the Chargers, depending on how well they do, although you can never buy into Los Angeles, the Patriots are still right there despite not having a Gronkowski. Uh, but Brady's still there. Belichick's still there. Dude, I'm a Mahomes fan. <sighs> um, I like, no, I mean, I like a lot of teams in the league. I would still not bet against the Patriots. Right. But, you know, as long as Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are there and Tom Brady looks capable, uh, I'm not betting against them. Now, there'll come a time, or, or maybe he'll retire before that, where he doesn't look capable anymore. You know, I hope, I hope I'll, for Tom Brady, like I hope for most of the greats, that they leave before I get to see that. Do you know what I mean? They leave before they don't look capable of doing what they did. Um, but I can't tell you unequivocally that he will or won't. Once you've lost Jimmy Garoppolo, that was your, that was your, that was your ride off into the sunset plan, um, changing of the guard type of plan if you were the Patriots. Once you lost that battle and you couldn't keep him, this was an inevitability as long as you kept winning games and you have, so you gotta lock him up. And we're looking at all the success that Tom Brady has certainly had and culminating with that sixth Super Bowl title this past season against the Rams. So it'll be interesting to see both the Patriots and Chiefs have the best, um, odds to win the Super Bowl at six to one. So that's something to look at. Um, would you bet on Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady? Um, if just in a vacuum, dude, would you bet on Brady? You bet on Brady, right? And I love Patrick Mahomes, like he. But I'm betting on Brady. Yeah, he's done it before, and there's no signs that he's slowing down, except for that one big hit. We'll have to wait and see. And still hasn't had that that huge dramatic drop off. Now there's been a little bit of a drop off, but uh, look, well maybe it'll come this season. We don't know. I want to spend time on this next one though. It's the Antonio Brown dynamic because. He has not shown up to training camp out in Napa yet. Now, he he was at uh, some workout stuff on Tuesday, 
but before they really got into pads. And so we missed a couple days. Even John Gruden on Friday was talking about, hey, man, we're kind of putting out an APB on AB saying, you know, I kind of need you out here. I think he said this on Friday, quote, I think we're all disappointed. I think he's disappointed. We'd like to get the party started. We'd like to get him out here. He's a big part of our team. The the thing with him, though, is like the Instagram videos, him working out. He is a, a grinder and a hard worker. Now, he did post on Instagram a shot of his feet, the, the bottom of his feet, kind of callous, kind of kind of tore up a little bit. If, if you venture there this morning to go check it out, uh, go ahead and check out AB's Instagram page. So it looks like he's got sort of a valid excuse not to be there right now. What do you make of it? Um, well, I think his feet look disgusting. Like, the, the, let's just, for anyone who didn't see his feet, they are peeling. The whole, in, like, the entire um, bottom of his foot is is peeling or either split in half and, and peeling back. It looks really, really painful. Have you ever tried to run with a blister, like, on your heel? Yeah. You have a sock that, like, slips down below the shoe line and you get a little blister? Right. You know what that feels you like? feel it, yep. The entirety of the bottom of his foot is a one big blister. Oh boy. So that is, that is really, it's gotta be excruciating for a guy who lives on speed and cutting and, and, and his feet. It's gotta be almost impossible to do his job. So I, I understand why you, why you might not be on the field, uh, getting that work in. That's a valid, that's a valid excuse. And quite frankly, you know, I do think the Raiders should be concerned with that. I've never seen feet like that. I played professional sports for, uh, 13 years. And prior to that, I, I played sports every day of my life from the time I was six years old. I've had bad feet. I've had, you know, your athlete's foot. I've had all kind of stuff. I've never seen anything like that. It, I, real, real talk. I've never no, seen anything like that. Too. Like front and center, by the way, if you go to the Instagram page and I just was like, like that. And then, and we know obviously. It, it, it's hard to look at, but from the, on the flip side of that, um, so I, I know why he has a medical excuse to not necessarily be on the field and be taking more, uh, uh, abuse on, on, on the feet. Uh, I do think you should be there, though, for all the other reasons, right? For the leadership type of reasons, for the camaraderie reasons, for the chemistry type of building that all takes place during camp. Uh, and I think you've got a responsibility to do that if you're AB, um, especially especially in light of the way last season ended yeah. with the Steelers, right? Like, I think you owe it to that organization to do everything you can uh, to be there in, in support of your teammates, even if you can't be on the field with them. Yeah, it, it's just interesting because... They are coming off a bad season. They're going to be in a division that has the Chargers and the Chiefs. And when you're trying to build a rapport with your quarterback like Derek Carr, which they've done in the offseason, they've done everything right in sure. terms of the social media stuff, you know, together, the families together and all that. But then when it comes to actually implementing the chemistry and timing and things you need to do, he is missing time. And whether he didn't manage it right the first time, whether it was like, you know, pre-camp when he comes in, it just, it's just tough because he's missing time and he's not even showing up to your point of, of supporting the guys or being in the film room a little bit. Yeah. Again, like as, as a teammate, um, I'm not going to be salty with you for missing the reps, right? There's only so much you can do to get on the field when you're dealing with an issue like that, right? Um, that, and that's not like a pulled hamstring or a, you know, a strained quad or anything that, that you have to see a podiatrist. You guys got to really figure out why your feet are looking like that. There might be a, 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 a you know, a, a longer absence than any of us understand at this point for AB. But I do want you there. I want you present. I want your personality in the building. I want you to start to develop, like, you know, help us develop the culture that, that we want to have um, in, in Oakland. And for all of those reasons, if I were a teammate, I'd be like, damn, dude, I know you're hurt, but can you, you know, just come out here and be in our building with us, even though you're not, we're not going to expect you to be on the field, you know? The Raiders will be the focus of this year's hard knocks, and I'm sure what may come up, and, and 
be a, a storyline, of course, is the quarterback, Derek Carr. Sure. We're talking about the, the rapport with him and Antonio Brown. There is a um, thought out there that, that he is the guy. Now, he says he's the guy. He said, I'm going to be a Raider as long as uh, I play this game. His brother, David, former number one overall pick with the Houston Texans on the NFL Network, saying, so he has a home, Derek, in Vegas, purchased this home. And it's not complete yet. They're still finishing it, but his next-door neighbor is one John Gruden. Yep, it happened. I think what happened is he found out where Gruden lived, and he just moved right in. They're going to carpool at 3 in the morning. That's a little tongue-in-cheek there. Like, look, uh, yeah, I want. I was going to be a Sixer for life in my mind till I wasn't. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not always within your control. Derek Carr, look, I hope you are uh, a Raider for life. Uh, but bigger picture – why the hell are you buying a house right next to your head coach? I would have done anything possible to not live uh, right next door to my head coach for any number of reasons, man. You can talk about, you know, what you do in your personal life and the coach seeing that. You can talk about just not having to have a guy come next door and and want to go over artwork, play artwork with you or whatever. You know what I mean? Any number of reasons you don't want to live next door to your your head coach. Um, given any other home to buy or any other plot of land that I could build a house on. I would have erred on the side of not living right next door to my head. There's a couple funny things here. So I covered Derek Carr uh, when he was in college. Then as he became a Raider, it was it was in the same TV market that I was in. So I had a weekly show with him. He is a, a and really the family, they are trying to be, you know, positive vibes only. And he yeah. went through a lot last year. Okay, First year with John Gruden, some of the fans were, were calling for change. And he's not going to be the guy. That's, that's why sometimes he's a little defiant. Especially this time around camp. The thing about buying the house that was interesting is like Gruden's probably never going to be there. Like the dude's always in the office or he's always yeah. in his thing. So I mean, we we joke a little bit about oh buying the house next to coach. Oh, he's dude. like coach. He's never going to be there. I don't <laughs> like, listen. Like you're. I mean, <laughs> I have to imagine. I, I don't know what the the real estate market looks like in Vegas. Yeah, there are a lot of homes in Vegas. There's a lot of land. Now, in they're Vegas. probably buying up Summerlin. Summerlin's like the nice area coming up right now. So buy a house on the other side of Summerlin. <laughs> Like see him at the grocery store. I was but not awkward. next door. I used grocery to run, store, yeah. but not next door. I used to run into Kevin O'Connor's wife like when I lived in Utah at a grocery store. We lived up in uh I don't even know dang, where did we live? We lived up near Snowbird up in uh, like up in the canyon. I used to run into his wife at uh the grocery store. And this was after like Kevin and I got a little sideways towards the end of the it was just all around awkward. And that was the a rare like chance encounter at a grocery store because we kind of lived in and about the same neighborhood. Imagine what that dynamic is if you're living next door to them. Every time you guys get out of the car, if you happen to be pulling in at the same time, like that, it's just weird. That is a little bit weird. So, Derek Carr, buying a house, building a house next to head coach John Gruden as they get ready to go to Las Vegas the next season. They'll have to get through this season first through Hard Knocks and an entire football year on the calendar. Speaking of football, Hall of Fame weekend, of course, we had the Hall of Fame game last week, Broncos and Falcons. Whack. The... Festivities though, right? So you had some, some pretty big names there with Tony Gonzalez and Champ Bailey mm-hmm. and Ed Reed. The, the Ed Reed part of it, first off, had, had an, look at that dude. That is like one of the all time busts ever. Like, that, that is a is great like bust. Spot on. Yeah. Like, you know, that <laughs> may be the, one of the best that, that yeah. is down there. Cause sometimes we, you guys do that, like the Ronaldo one here at Canel and Bell. Like some of the, some of these guys, like. Yeah, we did. I think we, yeah, we It did. just looked like it had melted halfway and it just, but that one's, uh, legit. But, but beside the bust, which is really good for Ed Reed. Um, why coaching didn't suit him the first time around. Per the Buffalo News, this was Ed Reed saying, quote, I was listening to coaches calling players dumb this and expletive that, but you're not coaching them. You're yelling at them, but you're not coaching them. 
you're mad at them, but you're not coaching them the proper way. Just, air quotes, paper coaching is not the proper way to do it. Goes on to say, I know I have the abilities to be a head coach or D coordinator. It's something I wouldn't mind doing, but it's tough being a player than going back and doing something like that because egos get in the way. Uh, yeah, this is so, you know, not everyone is a great coach. No, I'm, and Ed might be one day if he decides to do it, but clearly, you know, um, not everyone within an organization is a great coach. And it sounds like Ed ran across some guys that, that just weren't great coaches. And I, I look, I've been there. I don't, you know, when I first started coaching, even at the youth level, you know, you get frustrated with what's going on in a game. Um, and your first instinct is to yell out and, and expect someone to do something and, and they don't do it. Um, and you're just yelling, why can't you do that? And then you have to reflect, you know, and you say, you know, I didn't prepare them to do that. Anything that you expect someone to do and you're going to hold them accountable uh, for, for not doing, uh, you have to drill into them. You have to teach them over and over. I mean, it's monotonous, right? Like it becomes something where you go into practice, and you're like, oh my God, we have to do shell drill again. You know, but shell drill is what NBA teams use to, to teach you the dance, if you will, of like defense. Like when the ball's on that side of the court, your, your muscle memory should drag you to the middle of the court and split the court in half. So you're, you're in weak side help. You know what I mean? When the ball's one pass away from you, your muscle memory should drag you into the gap. Uh, so you can half deny your man and half protect, uh, your, 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 your defensive teammate, um, in gap control. And so if you're not doing that for people and teaching them at that level to the point where they don't even have to think about where they're supposed to be, you then can't hold them accountable and yell at them. And some coaches, I'm guilty of this, forget that. And so you get out there and you see a kid or a, a, you know, a, a, a high school player not doing something that you think they should do. And your first instinct is to yell at them. They don't do it well, so you yell louder. And then when you sit back at home at night, you're like, man, I, I didn't teach them as well as I should have. And that's essentially you know, what I think uh, Ed Reed's saying here. Like People aren't teaching uh, so you can't hold them accountable and just yell at them. And I, you know, that's, I think that that's a very true statement. There, are, you are much more entwined in tune with the, the coaching aspect now levels because they're still sort of the disciplinarian coach, the, the yell at you coach, which I think when we grew up, you saw a lot more of. And now there's a little bit less of that. But then there's also the dynamic that I always think is interesting, whether it's football, basketball, um, or any other sport, baseball too, it's like great players don't always make good coaches. And, and is it because they were so good? And if you're an editor, you don't listen to a coach or you're, you're, you're used to a certain way. So for football, it was like Mike Singletary, Hall of Fame yeah. offensive player, had a little bit of the scent with the 49ers, but just hasn't had been able to get that head coaching job again. He's got some coordinator jobs. Basketball, people talk about magic and, and, you know, you look at today, you see Ty Lue, Luke Walton, you know, Larry Bird did it, you know, obviously was, was an exemption, but like, you have guys that are more catchers in baseball, guys that are just more middle guys end up being good managers. Or yeah. The great ones kind of struggle. Hard. Well, all right, let me do two, two parts of this. Ed played like, so I was around the university of Miami when Ed played, we were in the same era and I know Ed well. Um, those guys got yelled at all the time. Mm-hmm. I was around there. Like they, there's no problem with Ed being yelled at. Like he's got no thin skin with that. Um, it was the culture around university of Miami. It was a really, you know, a machismo type of culture. Those dudes had no problem being yelled at. I, I do think it's interesting, um, that guys like Ed and I, I, but he didn't coach, so I can't really make an indictment on whether he can or not. But the greats, a lot of what they do is feel. A lot of what they do is, is an unteachable, like natural instinct, right? When you watched Ed play, Ed was, Ed took a lot of chances. He was a gambler out there on defense, right? Um, and, and a lot of it worked out. But that's a hard thing to teach someone. You either have that instinct, you either have that nose for the ball, you have that nose for the tackle. 
Sometimes you don't. Like I could teach you technique. I could teach you where to be. I could teach you the scheme, but I can't teach you when it's time to take that risk. You know, I can't tell you when that risk is worth the, worth the reward and when it's not. Like those are things that are instinctual. MJ can't teach anybody what he did. I mean, you can teach him the fadeaway, but like, you know, you can't teach it the way he did it. Same with Larry Bird and all those guys. The greats have a natural ability to do some of those things. That's not always able to be taught. I, I know we got to go to break, but this is, this is what I took away from this segment. I worked in the front office. Um, and so I worked with a lot of guys who didn't play basketball. Um, when they sit around sometimes and you're evaluating players and it, w- it was forever frustrating for me to the, I would get mad like at Kobe Altman sometimes, Trent Redden, even David Griffin at times, all the other guys that work there. They're like, it's almost flippant comments about somebody being trash or, you know, that guy can't play. He's a bum. And, you know, they're talking amongst themselves and they forget that I was a player. You know what I mean? And at one point you were probably referring to me like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am at that time would have been one of the best, I don't know, 2% of basketball players on the planet probably. Um, and you're sitting behind a desk and have never played and you're so cavalierly referring to guys as trash. Um, and, and he can't play anymore. He's a bum. And I imagine that to some degree, Ed saw that from guys that he worked with. Like, who the hell are you to be standing here yelling at a, an 11 year pro, um, that he, that he didn't make his rotation or something like that? That can be a frustrating thing for a player when he sits on the other side of the desk or he's on the other side of the, you know, uh, of the whistle at, at times. Ed Reed, one of the greats right there. We'll end on this in terms of how he was on the field. Hard to argue. Even our colleague Brady Quinn took to Twitter and I don't see Brady doing this very often. So, you know, he, he basically put the question, you know, that's asked to him a lot. Who's the greatest player you ever played against? He said it's easy. It's 20 ER. You had to know where he was at all times. Made it difficult to determine coverages. His pattern recognition was unrivaled. He was the complete package at QB's worst nightmare. So Ed Reed getting the respect of our guy Brady Quinn and a similar sentiment from other players and people alike. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, back here, Canel and Bell, Raja and Tommy. So over the weekend, you may have noticed, maybe you didn't. It kind of flew under the radar. Draymond Green inking an extension with the Warriors. So now they've got Steph and Clay and Draymond. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski reporting it's worth a hundred million over four years. Mm. He had currently one year left at eighteen million dollars. Raja, before you know, we can get into the Clay, the Bob Myers stuff, but the money. The extension. It's good money. That's good money. It tells me that um, the Warriors really believe in that core of Draymond, Steph, and Clay, which they should. I mean, they you know it. it, They think that that is still viable when healthy uh, in the Western Conference as something to build around and continue to try to win championships with. Um, Draymond is interesting. I was arguing with Debo before we came on the air about whether he gave a lot of money back by signing now or whether he was going to demand more and probably get a better better offer on the open market i i, I don't know um but i'll tell you this you can give me a hundred million dollars for four years to play basketball in golden state they're opening a new arena i've won championships there those are my brothers i'm in um and it's and it sounds like you know draymond is 
is um, all in, not just financially but emotionally with Golden State. So, you know, this is another one. I hate to keep saying win-win, but it is. Like, you know, Golden State retains their core. They get to try to build around those three. They had already won championships before you brought in Kevin Durant. Um, and obviously Draymond gets to continue to be a Golden State Warrior. Yeah, we are going to get into this sort of, you mentioned win now. We will get to sort of a list of teams that we think are in contention to win the NBA championship. A lot of people writing off the Warriors because of the loss of Kevin Durant, and they get D'Angelo Russell as part of uh, the deal there. Clay will come back eventually. This was interesting to me because whenever I had conversations about the Warriors and whether Kevin Durant was going to stay with them or not, mm-hmm. I thought I thought Draymond was going to be the one to, to would have had to take the biggest pay cut. Like he would have had to probably made the biggest sacrifice. Right. They were going to pay Steph, going to pay KD. Gonna pay Clay, and then there's Dre. But the interesting thing was, I was going to say that because I was like, "Well, he's he's the one that has the most diminishing returns. Like he, his game is all." But all he's done was this year was come back and be the Swiss Army knife that he did. Very good in the postseason. My only concern is like as we go now with the Warriors into this core group, which which was the OG crew, 2014-15 guys. I fear that his game, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong or however you see it, the way he plays the game. uh is the one out of the three between Steph and Clay that I think has the most potential to drop off in the next year or two? Uh, I, I, I don't know that I agree with that only because he does so many things, you know, like if, so if one slips a bit, like he can still, you know, produce, he can still rebound. He can still, you know, get steals and defend. Let's say if he's not creating offensively and he can't, uh, you know, make, make the assist that you're used to him seeing, right? Like, so, he is that Swiss Army knife. So if one, if there's slippage in one area, you know, he's going to be able to make up for it a lot easier than if Steph Curry automatic, like all of a sudden hits a slump and can't shoot the ball. I mean, no, no shade of Steph. He's one of the best to ever do it. May be the best to ever do it. Yeah. But like what happens then if he can't shoot? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like he is a completely different animal. And so I think Draymond, because he does a bunch of different things, um, I don't necessarily see him falling off the map in terms of what he does, but, I do think you make a, a good point. Uh, you know, I've made it before. I'm sure other people have. You know, Draymond. I'm really happy that he he got his bread and and everything. I don't know that he is worth the same amount of money to another team as he is to Golden State. Like that skill set that you talk about, which is integral to like Golden State winning. They don't win without him, right? Like what he does fills a lot of holes or has filled a lot of holes for that Golden State team. KD was there when KD wasn't there. You take that off of. Golden State and drop that into like Phoenix or or Sacramento or Charlotte. It doesn't look the same and it's not as valuable to a team like that because he's not going to be able to carry the the mail for you. Do you but know I what I mean? think that's what's the the tough thing to project or or see where he fits. Like so you say he doesn't fit. No, it's actually, not tough. It's not no, tough. Can you give me one team that Draymond Green would be close to where he is with the Warriors? Give me one team in the NBA. Uh, where he would be close. I don't know. You put him, you put him with other stars. So like if you put him with, it would look different, but let's say you put him with, uh, put him with the Rockets. Uh, let's say you put him with that young Boston Celtics team. Okay. Right? Where none of them really need the ball in their hand all the time. Um, and they don't have a guy to do like the dirty, tough guy work. Um, and he can be kind of the backbone for you. Like that's the situation, just hypothetically. You know what I mean? Like you, I would say like the Lakers, but obviously you pair him with LeBron and it minimizes what he does because LeBron's got the ball in his hands all the time. They're not a whole lot of them. That's why it's so like, it's a great situation for Draymond because what he does 
is at its best and its most valued there in Golden State, even though they're one of the best teams of all time. Bob Myers, president of basketball operations slash GM, saying he's played an enormous part in shaping an organization over the last seven years. His passion and knowledge of the game are indispensable to our team as a multi-time NBA champion surpassed everyone's expectations except his own. So they get that deal. Clay Thompson, by the way, and I'm paraphrasing here, basically saying that the dynasty is a little, uh, the end of the dynasty, a little premature. They still have Steph. They got Draymond. They got D'Lo. Um, to say that, you know, it's kind of a typical Clay comment, by the way. I could seem to say, like, you know, everybody want to say that we're done and, you know, but I think we're, uh, you know, I think we're set to be okay. We've well, I would, I would expect him to say, I would hope that he would say that. Um, the D'Angelo Russell one's interesting because we put that graphic up, like, and you got Steph, Clay, and Draymond. You don't really expect D'Angelo Russell to be a part of that core, like maybe moving forward, do you? I think okay, so I think it's a a, a, you're going to roll two two small, like relatively fragile, non defensive playing guards out there in the Western Conference. What if what if some scenario where (laughs) D'Angelo is like a super two, like he comes and and just owns the second unit? Okay, then who are you plugging into the starting lineup for him? Well, when Clay got 117 million. I'm, I'm Alec Burks. Okay. No, I hear you. I just, maybe in that, in that scenario, if D'Lo is going to say, all right, I'll be the greatest, like Lou William, Manu Ginobili, Jamal Crawford, but I, I don't know that that's what he wants to do. I don't know if he's at that point in his career. Well, I think they've set themselves up in two ways. Whether, whether the D'Lo experiment works or not, he's still an asset. He's still a, a yes. viable, tradable asset. So, you, you you throw him out there and you see a couple months to see if it works and and then you see if maybe the clay thing comes back whether it's a half season a full season and if it doesn't work again he will still be young enough and and wanted enough where then the warriors can flip them see i just think that everybody assumes that they're going to flip him off the bat which which maybe that is the plan i don't know we don't know what's back there but you never know maybe they get on the court and they're magical like like if they're magical uh, i'm wrong you know and i'll say i'm wrong i just we I talk a lot about Portland small guards right. and having to get that recipe around them like that exactly right. If you miss, like it, it just doesn't work. If you if it has to be one hundred percent accurate, the recipe around them to make that thing work. Um, you're gonna have a whole. You're gonna have a scenario like that if you're gonna be playing Steph Curry and D'Angelo Russell. And I love Steph uh, as a person, as a player. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I don't even think Steph would tell you that like his defensive prowess is one of his strong points. And you certainly know D'Angelo is not a defensive-minded player. Like you just, you're going to have some real issues if that's going to be your backcourt um, in in any capacity. All right, so let's uh, wrap up this segment talking a little bit about NBA futures, which is a little dicey because it seems you know the the league resets every year mm-hmm. or two. But for the sake of this argument here, we're talking about. Uh, the league turning into a win now league. We know that, you know, thankfully Kawhi didn't go to the Lakers. So instead of a, a, a three headed monster out there, there's a bunch of duos. So everybody, yeah. it. but in three years, who do you think will be the biggest title contender? And it's tough because the class of 2020 is going to be weak. The class of 2021 will be good. But for now, you, you look at all the teams, all the duos together in three years. Who do you think will have the best shot? Man, that's tough. Uh, because I don't know, all these dudes like the Clippers are on two years. Uh, you know, no one's LeBron. The young teams are really interesting. I mean, the Mavericks. Um, you know, they got Luca and Chris Dapps. Um, you're trying to set something up there for the future. I don't know if Chris Dapps can stay healthy. Right. Um, uh, Blazers. No, the Hawks are a really interesting team in the in the Eastern Conference. They've given you no reason yet. It was exciting last year, but this year would be a telling year as to whether that team is going to be able to continue. You know, it's trajectory. Um, not really the Nets. Sixers, obviously, like those guys are still really young. If Ben Simmons 
and continue to round out his game. By all accounts, this summer it seems like he's shooting more jump shots and he's starting to stretch the floor a little bit more. So that's interesting. Bucks, yes, obviously they're they're right there knocking on the door, but Giannis is going to be a strict free agent. I really love the Nuggets. Um, I love you know Nikola Jokic. Uh, is that dependent on Michael Porter Jr. being a factor, you think, or no? Um, I mean that's just icing on the cake for me. Okay. I, I like what they're doing. I mean, obviously Paul Millsap's probably going to start to have some major slippage in the next few years. I love Paul, but uh, you know he's getting a little older, so you'd have to replace some of that. But you know what they did in the playoffs was mostly Jokic, um, and and um, Murray, and yeah, you know, yeah, Jamal Murray, and then some of those other players just playing wide open basketball. So. You know, those are teams that are that are really really interesting to me. The Kings and Celtics. I mean, I I don't know. The Celtics for me is is the interesting one because you're, we're trying to project three years ahead, right? Or even two to three years ahead. That means Brad Stevens, we think, will still be there. Mm-hmm. And, and it's been interesting. And you and I have had this conversation before about how Danny Ainge has managed the assets that he's had, holding on to him at times. Now holding on maybe too long at times, and the Kyrie thing kind of doesn't work with the Gordon Hayward. It'll just be interesting to see what this team looks like if, if Tatum and Brown, which they've held on to, are the real core pieces. Do they try to attract the free agent? The, the Brad Stevens thing that you and I have talked about has been interesting because he's had some stars and so far has not uh, been able to manage the upper echelon talent. Now, when he's had younger guys, underdog guys, collective guys, obviously that that plays into his wheelhouse. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether he's there or the, that, that young core is there or, sure. or maybe they blow the whole thing up in three years. Well, that is going to be interesting. And Danny, you know, was being praised a couple of years ago and lauded as his mastermind. Like he had, he had accrued so many picks and had so much, you know, capital. Um, and now what do you, what do you do with it? Now it's time to make a move, you know? And so I, I do think that team will be better this year. I think they'll, they, you know, Kemba's going to help. Um, a bit of addition by subtraction with the Kyrie situation. Kemba's going to be more of a, a locker room guy and more of a, a winning type of, a, a buy-in guy, uh, for that team. I still don't know that they're a championship team like that, though. Do you know what I mean? Like this, this league needs a Kawhi. It needs a, a, a LeBron. Like you, you have to have that guy. And Kemba's great, but that guy is rarely the smallest guy on the court. I, just what it is. I mean, you can say what you want, but give me an instance where that guy has been like the smallest guy on the court. Yeah. I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, the Celtics would still need that guy, in my opinion. One of those guys would have to turn into that. Either the Tatums or the Browns or, or, or Gordon Hayward has to have this career resurrection, which he very well could have. I think it'd be a lot better this year. One of those guys is going to have to step up and be that, be that guy for Boston for them to be a championship contender in my mind. Yeah. Just for this next season, it'll be interesting to see Kemba, how much he takes the ball, but also Gordon Hayward. Are we going to see kind of the Utah Jazz facilitator guy? Yeah, the That's best version best. of the yeah. best version of Gordon is with the ball in his hands and just being kind of point forwardish, and he's really, really gifted in that in that role. Decision. All right, back here, Canell and Bell talking Carmelo Anthony, and I, I joke, but it's seemingly true. Every time I've been filling in, we talk about Melo. However, I did have an interview with Stephen A. Smith on Friday, which is why we're kind of revisiting this a little bit. So. He told Stephen A. on a possible return, quote, I know I can still play. My peers know I can still play. I don't think it's about basketball anymore. I think it's about me as a person willing to accept certain roles on basketball teams. Am I willing to accept a certain role in a basketball team? Yes. And then he added, quote, uh, I've never said anything about a farewell tour. He is basically addressing everything you and I had talked about. Yeah. He can go on his team and take this role and that role. Um, what did you make about his comments oh, Friday? He is correct. Um, you know, and I applaud him for being able to kind of sift through all the noise and get down to what the the, the, the nuts and bolts of this is at this point for him. Um, 
I think he does need to accept a little bit the fact that you, you can't play the way you used to play. Like no one, no one can play the way they used to play, having not played in, in two years. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Not at this age. Um, so you got to accept that a little bit, but you could still probably, you know, go out there and help an NBA team. Like I, I, I give you that, but your role has to be one um, that I'm not sure Melo is ready to accept. You know what I mean? And that's okay if you're a player of his ilk and you, you've been as accomplished as he's been in terms of scoring and 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 being unguardable and and all of that. If you say, hey, man, I don't want to come off the bench and play, you know, one night and then not play the next night and then maybe not play for three games and like, I, fine, dude, like, I, I'm okay with that. I think you've earned the right to say you don't want to do that. Um, but if, 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 if that's what teams want you to do, then you, if you want to play, you got to accept that. You know what I mean, Tommy? And I, I don't know that he really will. Look, I told you this when I, when I was let go from Utah, um, I wanted to play another year. Like I wasn't, I wasn't ready to retire yet. I want to play. Um, you know, I stayed in shape and I had a few teams, you know, call around and stuff like that. And it, it didn't really go anywhere. Like it would, they call me, we, we chop it up and whatever. And it didn't go anywhere. And then I had one of my friends call me from, from New Orleans and he was in the, on their strength and conditioning staff there in New Orleans. And I, 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 you know, I chopped it up with him a minute and I was like, Los, you know, they, you know, they reached out, man. I was going to come out and, you know, whoop de woo. And he was like, yeah, I heard, um, Somebody say that they weren't sure that you would be able to accept the role that they had for you here because you're too much of a competitor. And that was just what they said. Like I was, I was conditioned to fight tooth and nail mm-hmm. for, for my minutes. Um, if, if I was a younger player fighting an older player or if I was an older player fighting a younger player. But when you transition into that older player, a lot of people don't want you fighting their younger players. Like, and I don't mean fighting, fighting. I mean like, you know, you have to accept, yeah, you can, pu- you can push him, right. right? Your job is to push him in practice, but you got to wrap your mind around the fact that it's his job and you're just there to support him. Right. And they weren't sure that I had done that yet. And so, you know, a lot of teams are like, now, you know, we're good. And to some degree, you know, Melo's in that area of a career now where like, look, man, it's not going to be your ball. Right. It's going to be someone else's or, you know, it's going to be a young player trying to develop. If you can be there as his mentor, and just kind of, you know, keep him moving and teach him how to be a pro, kind of give him some of that, you know, skill set that you had uh, by working out with him every day, fine. But if you're going to be, like, making his life miserable because you want to play in front of him and you're trying to beat him down in practice to, to show us that you deserve to play, that's never happening here. And they've already invested in the young guy. They don't want you to stunt his growth Correct. and any of that stuff like that, especially if they've invested either a high draft pick or some money there to bring him in. Let's button this thing up real quickly. So he also mentioned his time at the end of the Rockets that I felt like, the game didn't want me back at that point in time, that it was an ego hit, that was a pride hit. And then, again, I'm paraphrasing at the end, but basically saying I honestly felt like I got fired. Well, you, you played like eight games. You did. Right. I mean, that's what that's what, that's what happens. He's aware. Like yeah, said, like when you – when you, look, I think that was really telling. Um, when you go in there and you're Carmelo Anthony, and after eight games, they're like, nah, man, we, we're good. On a team that was going to contend for a title. I mean, that's really telling. What it tells, I don't know, because I wasn't there. Like, I don't, I don't know what that day to day was like. I don't know what those personal interactions were like. What his skill set looked like, quite frankly. But if they've only given you eight games as Carmelo Anthony on a team where you've got one of your best friends in Chris Paul, um, and they're trying to win a championship, and they look, you saw how thin they were at the end of last year. Like, there weren't really viable options for them to go to when they saw you for eight games and said no, thank you. That's telling on some front. Yeah, maybe it was what we saw with CP3 in terms of Harden. You know, you build everything around Harden, and maybe he said something. <laughs> so, uh, I won't go that route. But uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, 
going into retirement or at least trying to stay in shape to, to, to be in the league once again. Ryan Khalil over in the NFL admittedly said he had a tough time retiring with a Panthers great 12 seasons plus, took some time off, and then all of a sudden signed a one-year deal with the Jets. And he basically saying, I want to apologize to anybody publicly or behind closed doors that I criticized for retiring and then coming back. I totally understand it now. I totally get it. So so he's coming back. He's going to give it a shot. Good thing for him. You know, look, O-linemen's like, speaking of trying to stay in shape, like we've seen so many of the dudes like slim down. Yeah. Look like normal dudes after they've given up uh, trying to keep that playing weight. Right. Here we go. He wants to give it one more go in football. That's funny. Old linemen are trying to stay out of shape if they want to come back, right? Like, no, they're trying to stay big. They are. Yeah, like, if you're going to come back, you need to eat, big. man. Um, yeah, it's a hard look. When you've done something for a lifetime, um, especially sports where, where, you know, there's a certain amount of, like, let's say intake of calories that you got to have, right? Yep. If you're an old lineman and then there's a certain amount of weights that you got to lift and then there's a certain amount of, you know, cardio that you got to do and a certain amount of stretching that you got to do. And that's your life. That's your every day. And then you don't have it. It, it, it. You can be lost. Like I was lost for a while, like just the competition part of it. Like I, every day of my life since I was 11 years old had been competing in one way or another for something. Right. And so all of a sudden you tell me I've got nothing to compete for and you know, I'm at home now to take my kids to school and I'm a full-time dad and, you know, my wife and I are sitting there and she's like probably a little annoyed because she didn't have as much time for herself as she normally has because I'm on the road and now I'm sitting there on top and I don't have any outlet for this competitive stuff. So I'm a little bit more on edge and everything's just kind of on edge. So you, you have to find that competitive outlet. I found golf uh, and that fulfilled that a little bit. But if you don't find it, it can be a really, really hard transition into, into you know, retirement or that next phase of your life. Um, when you've been conditioned to do something for for your whole first you know period of your life, yeah. Said so he had a hard time moving on. Says he's he's ready to get back. He feels good. Uh, his playing weight three hundred. That's what linemen need to be right now. Yeah. Um, at one point before he started the track back up two sixties. Oh wow, forty pounds to make. Man, good luck to the Ryan Khalil there. All right, welcome back to Canell and Bell. Time to talk Baker Mayfield. I actually haven't seen this video yet. I don't know if you have, but uh, uh, no, we are going to share it now with Baker Mayfield chugging a little beverage. Stash. Uh, oh, oh, there we go. Hear me. Oh, with oh, the teeth. I got boom. Looks like he's done it before. Uh, <laughs> done it before, Francisco, Francisco Lindor. Lindor. Okay. Let's go. I'm all in on Baker, bro. Baker, did Baker got a little muscle there? I, uh, can't tell what the baseball jersey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Baker. Ba- all right, the all right, stash. So March the rally. Yeah, the stash was dope. Um, the the tooth like opening of the shotgun beer okay. was pretty was pretty dope. Like, look, all jokes aside, it's why people either like love or hate Baker. Correct. You know what I mean? Like, I I tend to like like Baker. You know, um, you can tell that he likes to have a good time, man, but he knows how to party. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. If you can go out there and get your job done, um, you're authentic, guys follow you, which they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I get down with this. Like I know if Danny were on here, he might be telling me, no, nah, no, nah, he's been pretty cool about the beer chugging thing. Okay. But he likes his, he likes his quarterbacks buttoned up more CEO-ish, right? Right. I don't mind mine like showing you who they are. And we talked about it. Like as long as you are organic, remember when we had the topic of yelling at OBJ and yeah. Landry talk, if you're that person, 
be that person. Right. You're someone else's more mild mannered, and you're at the game. Someone throws you a beer, and he's like, "Thank you." And yeah. You're like, uh, <laughs> just, like, right. You know, can you fruit the beer for me, please? Um, you know, then that that would be different. So, okay, Baker Mayfield, you're good in our books there. Good stuff there from the weekend. Just don't drink too many before the, the NBA or the NFL season. Uh, NBA is what's coming up next, and yeah. so we we kind of had an idea now. Uh, the Christmas Day games, it's the annual tradition where all the, the big-time teams, it's really sort of the unofficial start of the NBA season. I know the NBA season starts in October, but really when when, when the casuals... Tell an NBA go, player that. I know. You, you just did, right? Or a former one. Well, yeah. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, you know. They're out there grinding from October. They are. To, no, I hear you, though. Fantasy and DFS players certainly know, but uh, you look <laughs> look at the slate here. Yeah. What stands out to you about some of these? There's good, some good matchups here. These are some nice matchups. Rockets, Warriors, um... Bucks Sixers is a good Eastern Conference battle. I don't know if the Raptors sees is going to be all as that. that. Yeah, as yeah, you might find another team to play the Celtics in that space. The interesting one to me, I mean, Clippers Lakers is a must. The Pelicans, right? They make they make Christmas Day with no real track record. I mean, obviously, you know, you've got what you're hoping is going to be the free, the face of the NBA yeah. you know, moving forward. So you're going to start to introduce that. Um, people want to see Zion, uh, but I could give you a few other teams that probably would be better matchups for the Nuggets in that space. Although I do believe, and I want to be fair to David Griffin and Oklahoma, I mean, uh, the New Orleans Pelicans, they're going to be a little sleeper team this year. They're going to be pretty good. I think they have a chance people to People are in high them. It scares me a little. I think they have, I mean, look, they could be bad, right. but I think they could be a sleeper team. They could be pretty good this One year. One thing I have always sort of been... Who else in that spot? No, 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 no. I'm just saying, like, you mentioned the Pels. I, I kind of... Uh, Alvin Gentry getting another shot and getting yeah. a team worth because remember I I was on an island a little bit a couple of years ago the year that they actually ended up uh, taking care of the Blazers right mm-hmm. but going into that year I actually thought I was saying like Gentry's kind of coaching for his job because he got top five player they'll make the po- now they had injuries obviously 80s always had injuries but I just felt like that was a make or break here which they did. Then he backs it up with, with then all the drama having with AD. So, you know, at least Alvin Gentry has been a good assistant. Couple pops at the, at as a head coach. It hasn't always worked out, but maybe it'll work out for him this time. So. A- AG's a great dude, man. I played for AG, um, multiple times. Like he was on the staff in, in San Antonio. He coached my summer league team when I was with the Spurs. His family was great. We were in Phoenix together. Um, I, I think he is a really good, um, you know, head coach. He, he's a player's coach. Um, and I think, you're going to see with the pieces that David Griffin has kind of put around them that they're going to really play a style that's going to accentuate like some of those guys, you know? Did you already hit up on his comments with his time with LeBron in Cleveland? Did you guys hit that on Canelo Bell? David Griffin? Yeah. Like, no. No, I didn't talk. Oh, yes, we did. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Okay. Yes, we did. My yeah. bad. What was, yes, your big, did. what was your big thing on that? Um, look, I, I thought that – what I should have said the day when we were on here is David Griffin had to have been taken out of context to some degree because – what I said on here was that I didn't know their relationship was like that. Like, and I was, you know, I'm pretty close to Griff and, and he's never given me any indication either on or off record that he had a beef with LeBron's camp. So I think, you know, Griff is a pretty cerebral dude and maybe in the midst of, of, of answering a question, um, that was posed to him, he said some things that were taken out of context because I, I don't really believe there to be any real beef with them there. And I think in, you know, in the last, I don't know, 72 hours since those comments came out or so, you've had some other people come out and say that it did get a little miserable, uh, there in Cleveland in terms of, you know, the, the dynamics that were going on behind closed doors there. And I don't know that that was specific necessarily to LeBron right. or LeBron's camp, right? It was just the way that team had a lot of pressure. They had a lot of personalities. Um, and Griff, you know, it, it was trying to be genuine, but I think some of those were taken out of context. LeBron, look, I work with LeBron too. 
I know my, like there's some, there's stuff out there about LeBron in the AAU right now that's getting, that, that's getting some hits. I'm a LeBron fan, dude. I think LeBron's great. I actually enjoyed working LeBron and his people. Um, but with LeBron comes a certain, you know, um, a certain demand of flexibility from an organization. Right. And I would imagine, I haven't worked with any other greats, that with them would come the same demand of flexibility from an organization. When they come in, there's certain things that, that have to be given takes with them. So I don't think he is unique in that regard at all. I think a lot of stars in a lot of sports are like that. Um, and I don't believe David Griffin has a real beef with them. It's just a little tough, right? Because you look at it now, every... NBA Finals team that Cleveland put out every year was a different squad. Like, like you had the the 15 with Mozgov, and then you still got you know pieces that you're trying to fit with Kyrie. Then the next year, you're just always changing. And I think for him, it was tough to build a team because you're you can't project for even two or three. Years. Well, you weren't you were building. Always, LeBron were always was on one year. LeBron was on essentially one year deals. deals. Correct. So what you were doing, and that adds to the stress level of an executive, is trying you're trying to get that recipe right every year. Right. There's no time to build it. There's no hey man. Trust me, in two years, I'm going to have these pieces around you. Well, he's up for free agency again this year. He's got an opt-out. So, you know, that put everyone under the gun and under the, you know, microscope to get something done right now. And that that in and of itself heightens the tension in the room, right? Like, it's a win now. We talk about these built-to-win-now teams. And most of these are two-year teams. That ain't win now. Win now is what they were doing. On one-year deal. Going all in. You don't get it right. Yes. No, that's what they're saying. 30 seconds. Uh, let's put up one quick graphic on the revenge games. I'm going to call them more reunion games. Yeah. How much revenge there is. The best game to you sticks out is what? Um, let's see. We got Chris Epps and Knicks. Anything that's probably, ah, uh, Kyrie's. Ooh, Kyrie and the Celtics. No brainer. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. Russell Westbrook. Nah, there's not going to be animosity there. No. Kyrie and the Seas, I think. There's going to be, uh, Tear I think. all over the place. Yeah. No, I do. I, but I'm reading them Kyrie, right now. I'm not prepped. Yeah. Kyrie and the Celtics because there's beef. I think there's real beef on both sides, so I think that's going to be electric. And the other side's Kawhi. They're going to love him. Yeah. All right, that's it, everybody. We'll see you.